Redbox. Who Redboxes anymore? We do. We do. I don't. When you got a, when you got you got when you got kids and that new Avengers movies come out and you're like, I need I need you to hook you up. What? I'll hook you up. He has a thing that we'll talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode 12 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick. And I'm your other host, Rick, and Patrick, who do we have with us? This week, we have our very first special guest with us this week. This is Benny. Ladies and gentlemen, Benny Hinn is in the house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cast out the demons in the name of Jesus. Obviously, this is not Benny Hinn. No. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but I do enjoy his yeah, animated gifts. The Beers and Bible Podcast has not dipped that low yet. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> not saying we won't, but we haven't yet. We're gonna we're gonna aim for his nephew Costi before we, we go for Benny Hinn. <laughs> so there, there there you have it. All right, so welcome. Episode twelve. We are ready to rock uh, and roll and rock. So <laughs> there's three of us, so there has to be three things, right? I, I, is there a third thing in rock and roll? I don't know. Well, I mean, there's technically sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There oh we gosh. go. That's a different podcast, though. Yeah. We're not tackling that subject here. That would be Rob Bell's podcast, Two Down the, <laughs> two down the Channel. Okay. Wow. Oh, I'm taking it. Joel Osteen, buckle up, big boy. We bring, we bring on Benny Hinn, and this is what we get. Yeah. We are. I, I got to throw my seconds. verbal jacket at him. We're 45 seconds into the Beers and Bible podcast, and it's already gone further than we could probably bring it back from. So That's amazing. You're it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So, Benny Benny is uh, a friend of the podcast, and and we were just hanging out and decided, you know what? Let's have Benny on the podcast tonight. It'll be fun. He knows what we're going to talk about. He's been following along with us. So why not? I mean, it'll be fun, and and maybe it'll open the door for more guests to be on. You never know what will happen here at the Beers and Bible Podcast. Or yeah, I I hope you guys didn't lower your standards to start out of the gate and then expect it to get any worse because it can only go up from here. Or it might just slam the door on all future guests ever coming on the podcast. (laughs) That's very likely. (laughs) After yeah, it's 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 a distinct possibility. Oh. We're in week two of our Oktoberfest Festival of Beers. I just named it that. All right off the top of my head. I'm glad we talked about that. <laughs> and uh, so I picked out the, the Oktoberfest for this week, and it was the only Oktoberfest that I could find at the package store. And it is Lining Kugel's Oktoberfest. So, funny story. I actually found out what makes a beer an Oktoberfest. Oh, do tell. Uh, I have to pull it up real quick. Hang on. He searches it. He found it. No, I found it. Give me a minute. I found it earlier, but I remember. Okay, so. um, (laughs) This is like when I found stuff for a paper that I was like two hours late. I'm like, yeah, I know all about that topic. Give me just a minute. No, really, I did search it earlier, but I forgot to have it pulled up. I promise. (laughs) So, um, we believe you. Traditionally speaking, this is according to the internet, so you can trust it. Um, traditionally speaking, these are dark colored lagers brewed to about five and a half to six percent ABV in March, dubbed Marzen, and then they're slowly fermented throughout the summer months to allow rich malt flavors to develop. 
This one has 5.1. Oh, well, it's technically not an Oktoberfest. It's October. It says Oktoberfest on the the bottle, so. (laughs) Well, I mean. I mean, I believe all marketing. You make up your own rules. That's what they did, so. They make up your own rules. Listen, they've got an Indian on there, and if they know anything from a couple of these major league teams, they're going to have to get that down anyways. <laughs> I don't know good. if that's an Indian or a German. That is a white-looking Indian. There's a feather. That's one of those Germans from back on, like, 50s TV where it was somebody playing an Indian that nowadays would not make it on air. <laughs> I also like the German hat right above. I mean, you got the yeah. Indian the feather in the hat, and then you got the German, like, traditional German hat on yeah, the label. And you got the like little German town down here at the bottom, complete with checkerboard roof and everything. That's amazing. Line and Google, good job on your bottle. I do I do, I do enjoy the label here. It's entertaining. It's like an old 50s comic book strip. Alright, let's crack these things open and see how they taste. Line and Kugel's Oktoberfest. We gonna, we gonna time it out? Or am I just gonna pop it open? We can try to time it. One, two, three. Oh, that was... Well that done, was pretty, boys. Well pretty done. Cool. I got to pass it off, and Benny's going to open his over there. Oh, y'all in, have one bottle. In true there. spirit of Patrick, the cap hit the floor. Dropping the bottles. The cap hit the floor. Funny story, my cap didn't hit the floor. My cap didn't hit the floor this time. That's all right. I picked up the slack for you there. Oh. All right. So it looks almost like Sam Adams. Smells kind of like Sam Adams did. I kind of like that. That's good. This is this is uh this is shaping up to be a positive night right here. <laughs> so, in case you haven't figured it out yet, uh, Benny and Rick are together. We're recording, and Patrick is remoted in. So, yep. Benny, Benny and Rick can clank their glasses. Patrick is gonna have to clank it with himself or something. Oh, <laughs> I just like how you just told him to clank it by himself. God, I hope people realize what you're talking about when they come in late to the podcast. How do you come in late to a podcast? You get. Have you never accidentally hit the fast forward button? No. No, I start mine from the beginning every time. This yeah. I'll teach you guys something. Benny, right. Benny knows how to rock it. Benny's going to rock it. Here we go. This is Lane and Kugel's Oktoberfest. Let's do it. That's that's a little surprising. I'm not going to lie. That is really surprising <laughs> from Lane and Kugel. hitting. And so, admittedly, this is actually the first line in Google I've ever had. I know they're a fairly popular, a little bit more popular brand. They're a little bit more on the fruity end, usually. Um, yeah, they usually have uh, grapefruit or citrus. Mm, Lemonies and citruses. Yeah. And... I like it, though. So this, this, is, is... this is not bad. Who, who wants to start? Let's let Benny start us out. Yeah, I was going to suggest to let the guest first. <laughs> I like how you Again, y'all just love to set the bar low when you when you allow me into anything. But uh, no, I, I'm, I'm I am thoroughly impressed with this, especially considering I'm not a huge line of Google fan. It's one of those beers. If it's there, I'm sure I'll drink it in the summertime, mm-hmm. you know. But in terms of an Oktoberfest, I'm thoroughly surprised. And again, I'm like Patrick. I haven't. I don't drink a lot of Oktoberfest. So uh, you know, honestly, here I'm just kind of speaking on a first term basis. This is the first real Oktoberfest I've had probably in a while. Mm-hmm. But. You know, if I'm on a Luther scale, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go three and a half out of the gate for it. I mean, it's, it's not okay. a bad, it's not a bad little Oktoberfest. All right, Patrick, what you got? Yeah, so I'm gonna come in low for me, um, and I actually just like a, I don't know if I've already said this, but I actually just had us one of the Sam Adams Oktoberfest at dinner. Um, yeah. What did I give that four? Uh, I think you gave it four and a half. I think I might. Have. I think this, I'm, I'm going to actually agree with Benny on this one. This is going to be three and a half. Three and a half? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's in that, you know, it's not a bad beer, but it's not really doing anything, like, special. You know, to me, it's just a beer. Yeah. Well, So, so three and a half for me. Three and a half. We, we're going to have absolute consensus on this. Wow. I am also going to give it three and a half. 
Um, I feel like it's a little bit. All right. So when I think of an Oktoberfest, I think of something that is a little bit heavier. And never having had a line and kugel before, but hearing people talk about them being fruity and all that kind of stuff, like I feel like this is a little bit too light for an Oktoberfest. Mm. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like this would this would if I had to compare this, this is like the Bud Light of Oktoberfests. Oh, that's not a good look for that. I don't know if that's a positive endorsement or not. It's, I mean, it's, it's just like it's it seems like a lightweight to me. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm expecting something a little bit thicker, a little bit stouter. Um something with a little more caramel flavor in it mm-hmm. than, than this hat. I mean, to me, this, this kind of feels awesome. like, this kind of feels like Lion Kugel decided to make something without fruit in it. Yeah. <laughs> it was their first attempt <laughs> into, the, into the market. <laughs> yeah. So they just threw an Oktoberfest label on it and said, well, we'll just sell it in the summer. If, if I had to compare this to one that we've already had, I would have to compare it to the Flesh and Blood, and I gave the Flesh and Blood three and a half. Well, at least you're consistent. See, I am consistent. That's fair. I give a wide range of scores, but I'm consistently consistent on my consistenting scores. It's very consistent of you. It is very consistent of you. <laughs> but it's, I, I agree with you guys. It's not a bad beer. Um, I don't if know it was, if it's worthy of the Oktoberfest label. I don't think it is. I think I agree with you on that. I think it's one of those things where when you see it, you, you see the label, you would you know, you got Oktoberfest tint on it, you see the color, you smell it, you're like, All right, this maybe it's gonna surprise me. And you drink it and you say, it's not that it surprised me, it's just all right, it's there. It you surprised know. you in a whole different way. Yeah. It surprised you in that it did not surprise you at all. <laughs> well, yeah, and again, knowing knowing Line and Google being more on the fruity end of the spectrum on most of their beers. I think I was expecting it to at least be attempting to have a little more flavor than it does, yeah. and it came in, and it's like, yeah, I think like it's kind of like, normal. It, it, it could have used like a drop of caramel in the batch or something. <laughs> just, just throw something in there, a little spice or something. You put one drop, maybe you should have put two. Possibly. So, uh, so Benny, we've uh, Rick and I have kind of divulged what our go tos are, what our go to beer is. So, uh, what would be your go-to? You're going to the package store and you're going in there for one you know, thing. I, what is it? Well, typically, if I'm going to the package store, it's not usually for a for a, a beer. Um, I, I'm, I'm more of a, a, a bourbon and whiskey guy, but again, I, I'm also adventurous, and I, I, I typically like to just go for something that I've never had, and I'll I'll go for. Uh, Belgian whites, I like those because my wife has gotten into those and she drinks them. And it's one of those things I'm like, okay, I I, I can get into this. Um, but then, you know, a good IPA every once in a while is, is is always a stout, you know, something like that. And occasionally, I can go a stout or an amber or something like that if I'm just really feeling I need something with a yeah. more bold flavor, or if I'm if I'm cooking a steak or something like that, and I want a little more heaviness to it, you know. But if it's middle of the summer, you know, I'm gonna go with the Belgian white, the you know, just some something light that goes with like. Something I can throw on a grill quick. Yeah, blue moons are good in the summertime. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, well, and, and that's the kind of the family of the, of the Belgian whites. That's more of the citrusy yeah. Belgian whites because if you just take the citrus out, you can kind of get the family of Belgian whites, and they can kind yeah. of they can they're very they don't fit into one box. The good thing about Belgian white is it's very it, it's not overpowering in its flavor. So if you put a little citrus note in it, or you put some kind of you know other hint of something in it, it actually adds to it and it builds mm-hmm. on it. So that's good. And that's why I kind of like them because they're. They're building block ones, and it's one of those things I can share with a lot of people because they're they're very it, they're, not, they're not the Bud Lights of beers, but, but they're not intimidating to anybody either. It's like well, right. you know, Blue Moon and Shock Top and stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's those, and just I'm, go from I'm there. sorry, Lion and Kugel. I, I didn't mean to call you the Bud Light of Oktoberfest. But. Yes, he did. <laughs> if he says it, he means it because he means Absolutely. what he says, and he says what he means. That's right. He's consistently consistent. I'm consistently consistent. Right. Yeah, I'm just I'm not too impressed with this, but it is a good beer, and I I think maybe I just had my standards set a little bit higher for an Oktoberfest beer because these only you know they're only around for one to two months a year, so mm-hmm. typically if I buy an Oktoberfest, I'm like this thing better be good. Yeah, yeah. this is not what I'm going back to the store to get before the yeah. end of October. It's like okay, I checked that one off the box. You know, Unless it's the only one in the store. Yeah, and then I'm going to a different store. <laughs> All the beer is sold out. There's one six pack left of Line and Kugel, and I'm going to go to the gas station down the road. Go. <laughs> oh man! So we have a consistent three and a half all the way across. It's it's not a terrible rating. It's I mean it's really not, but you know it's it's just not what we would expect from. 
from an Oktoberfest. We we expect mm-hmm. more. When I see an Oktoberfest, I want it to be a four or higher. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. I want it to be a four or higher. Yeah. But then, but again, it's not bad. Three and a half is a very good effort. Yeah. Anything yeah. three and above is good. Below three, never again. <laughs> yeah. Four, well, just listening, then, just listening to y'all before, I think I've gauged it where if it's anything in a three to four, like just up to a four range. It, it's like a yeah, sure I'll have one of those. If it's a four, it's like yeah, okay, I'm gonna probably go find that one again. And, and of course, then with your your magical five that finally happened, yes, you know that's like okay, I'm putting that on the list, and Gaelic I'm gonna Gale. I'm gonna keep one of those in the back of the fridge for when so, I really need something. Have you had the Gaelic ale yet? I I have not actually. We were talking about that pre-show. I I, I I've n- I've heard of it, but I've never actually tried it. And so now again, that's. Uh, you, because of y'all and, and Gaelic ale, this is something you guys should listen to. I mean, you know, they got a they got a bleeper out of me. I, they got a five Luthers. Hashtag Highland Brewing. Five Luthers. <laughs> oh well, there is our discussion on the Lining Kugel Oktoberfest, and we hope you find it interesting, or in the words of Dosecchi's, interessante. Keep it interesting. Does Dosecchi's make an Oktoberfest? I wish they did. I don't. Think oh my do. gosh, would that be classic? <laughs> I would love to see a Cerveza Oktoberfest. <laughs> that would that would be amazing. I bet there's one out there that makes. There's got to be. I mean, somebody somebody has to have bridged that gap to say, yeah. you know what? There is no niche market here for, for a Cerveza <laughs> Oktoberfest. We can corner the entire market with one beer. We could sell a billion of these in Mexico. <laughs> They don't probably have a lot to compare it to, so it would be the standard. <laughs> Your choices in Mexico are Dos Equis and Corona. And, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about Corona, but I think I would rather pour Corona down the sink than I would drink a Corona. Listen, if I have to put anything into my beer to make it taste good, that tells me a lot about that beer up front. Yeah. Actually, it, I don't know if I've ever had a Corona. So. I had one one time, and I literally took one sip. Okay. Literally mm-hmm. took one sip, and poured it out that's how that's how disgusting it was like uh, i'll so if you've listened all the way back to episode one you know how i feel about natty light i would rather drink natty light than i would drink corona oh damn wow <laughs> it's that, that bad it's that bad wow yeah i would i would rather drink natty light than i would drink corona now, what, what's your opinion on Paps is what I want to know. Dude, I love Paps. I, I, see, I get such mixed relations on that because it's like some people are like, oh, it's just garbage. And then <laughs> some people are like, dude, I, if it's there, I'm drinking it. it so here's here's my feelings on Paps. Um, if it's there, I'm going to drink it. I'm probably, the only reason I'm going to go buy it is because I only have like $2 left in my checking account. <laughs> and that, that'll get you a 12 pack. It's literally yeah. like, it's like $7 for a case. <laughs> Yeah, you can get the whole suitcase for seven. <laughs> you throw a pen on there. You, go ahead. I've actually never had it, so it's a it's decent. Like I mean, Another it's a solid like maybe three or three and a half. I mean, it's not great. I mean, it was a blue ribbon beer. Let's 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 give it all the props it deserves, sir. It is a Paps Blue Ribbon. It it's won true. a fair blue ribbon, so we know it's good. It won the fair that like six people were at. <laughs> Five of them work for Paps. They also say it was the Paps Fair. <laughs> that just so happened to be the brew they put out there. It's like, here, y'all try this one. <laughs> oh man, that is true. Words have never been spoken. That is that is so true. So anyway, that's Lining Kugel. We hope you enjoy our discussion. And now we're going to move on to J.I. Packer's concise theology. Welcome back. We are here with Benny, our special guest. What's up? And we've got Rick and Patrick. Yep. Your your ever so faithful hosts, and we're glad to have Benny with us. We're continuing on in concise theology, and tonight we are going to discuss the topic of glory and the topic of idolatry. At least we're going to attempt to. We're we're we may get stuck. We never know. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. I don't know if we're going to like actually accomplish anything. Yep. So, so we talk. Let's let's dive into glory. What is? Let's start with Benny. Benny, give me a definition. When you think of the word glory, tell me what you think about. 
I mean, am I giving you the Christian answer, or am I just giving you the, hey, I'm asking somebody on the street answer, because Christian answer. Give, give me the asking somebody on the street answer. Uh, it's, it's the perceived air about something or someone that surrounds them, mm-hmm. whether whether usually stemming from something that they are or have done. Right. So that, that would be something, if you were to just come up to me off the street and just kind of throw that my way, that would be the something I answered it. Now, if I'm answering it from a Christian perspective, it, it is the actual essence of God on full display. Everything about him that is that is all-encompassing for everything he is, mm-hmm. is wrapped up in the term glory. And I think a lot of Christians just, they... they they get scared of the word because they hear it so much, but don't really necessarily associate it with anything. But if you look at, especially in the Old Testament, they they threw that kind of imagery about God's glory almost as if it was a tangible thing that you could physically see or feel or touch because it was so potent and so overwhelming that they actually had words for it in the Old Testament specifically to talk about that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things. If it's if it's just simply off the street, I'm, I'm saying kind of like a celebrity has some glory, but yeah. in terms of Christian, it, it's it's talking more about the overwhelming nature of God's character. You might could even call it reckless. <clears throat> oh, man. Oh, it's almost like it would chase me down no matter what dark shadow I'm in or up right? <laughs> Sorry, I had I had to do that. I had to throw that in there just for oh, just for all of the fun people who like to fight about the song Reckless Love. We're not going to fight about that tonight. Oh, please. Can we, be fun. Can we, like, be fun. Can we just get somebody to come on y'all's show that is in complete opposition to that song and we, just... We will one day. We will one day. We're, we're going we're gonna to discuss it when nobody else cares about it. That's when we're going to discuss it. <laughs> yeah, like five years when that song is dead and forgotten about. Well, we've got we've to finish Concise Theology first, and at this rate... It's going to be about five years before yeah. we do this. <laughs> I mean, y'all got your entire, like, first year lined up here. I mean, we're, we're 12 weeks in, and I think we're, what, 20 pages into the book? Oh, you're, 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 you're so a quarter. Up. Yeah, you're so a quarter away. We're not even done with part one. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that, but and not to throw this, to make light of it, but that, that tells you this, the stuff that y'all are talking about, though, in this book, in this theology, is not something you can just simply go through and just give you the five-cent answer for it. I think a lot of, this is what... What bothers me about a lot of Christians and a lot of pastors and a lot of podcasts you hear, they give you this cliched, like, almost not necessarily prosperity gospel approach, but they'll give you they'll give you just enough to really get you by, but they won't go into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this this actually this tackles it. it. It actually is making you go through each individual thing that we believe and why, so that you're not you're not caught off guard by it. You understand it because if you read, especially again going back to the Old Testament, these things were common sense to them. Yeah. I mean, you can't read through that and just go. They didn't have a they didn't have a baseline understanding of this stuff. The reason things are written the way they are is because they expected you to know this kind of stuff, and they yeah. they said it and moved through it. Mm-hmm. It like I think about I think about the Gospel of John. So like John leaves a lot of stuff out of his gospel that the other gospel writers put in. But the reality is that John is assuming that you know that kind of stuff. And, and really, to me, like, that points back to glory. All right? And, and you, hit, you hit a little bit on pastors. Like, I wish that more and more pastors would preach the glory of God in, in every text. That, you know, find the glory of God. Find the glory of God in this passage that you're teaching. No, you know, no matter if it's, you know, Daniel, or if it's Revelation, or if it's Genesis, or wherever it is, find the glory of God in that passage. And, and you know, I always think about the Westminster Confession of Faith. The first question of the Westminster Confession of Faith is, what is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, man's chief end is to glorify God. So everything that we're supposed to do is supposed to be about the glory of God. You know, it, whether it's whether it's what we work, where we work, um, where we go to school, if you're in school, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you're supposed to be about the glory of God. Mm. And in our lives, God glorifies himself. And and that's like, I love the way that Packer started this, this little section out. He says, God's goal is his glory. Like, 
I mean, that yes, that is the end of it. God's goal is his glory. And our goal should be God's glory. Right. That should be the goal of our lives. So, so you know, pastor, uh, teacher, Sunday school teacher, you know, small group leader, whatever you are, wherever you're leading, make the purpose of what you're teaching the people that you're that, that God has entrusted to you to make much of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. No, I think you know you hit on Rick that you know God's goal is His glory, so that's His end goal. But I also think that was His goal from the very beginning, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, when He started, when He started creating, he, He's like, "This is all for my glory. This is all going to be to show off who I am." Yeah. So. I mean, that's what, that's what Psalm 19.1 tells us. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think, you know, in, in, to anybody that's not a Christian listening to this, I think they're thinking, well, God's an egomaniac. He's just trying to show off to show off. If they're doing that, it's because they don't understand why God is putting that on display. Why is it so important that God is, his, his sole goal is to receive glory and to do that through all of creation? Well, it's because... Through receiving glory, it allows creation, the creature, to actually be made in closer congress and closer relationship to him. And the only way to actually live out full purpose is to live in that glory. Because really, when you say, you know, man is made to glorify. Well, what is glorifying? What does it mean to glorify? Glorifying actually means to try to emulate that thing, that perfect character in nature that is the glory throughout creation because when you do that it actually makes creation come a little bit closer to its original purpose yes mm-hmm. yeah, yeah man. go ahead no you go ahead <laughs> well I, I was just i mean i'm sitting here thinking you know we we think of glory and and when i think of glory i think of how can i make myself look better like you know it is it is a self-centered version of glory Whereas God's glory is displayed. It is a selfless version of glory. And, and I mean, we, I know we keep hitting on this time and time again, but again, the infinite can never be understood by the finite. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a full understanding of what glory actually is. Mm-hmm. So we have to look to something else to get that better understanding. So, you know, can God glory in himself? Yes, he absolutely can because he's perfect in every way. You know, when we think of somebody who who is trying to get glory for themselves, they're getting glory for the things that they do well. You know, a basketball player or a football player is going to get glory for making an, an amazing catch. But the reality is he made that catch, and it was a perfect catch or whatever it was. And so he deserves to be praised for that thing that he did. You know, it's and, and and it's but and and that's kind of a that's a a little bit of a weak analogy, but that's the closest thing that the, like I can come to on that is God doesn't God doesn't just make the perfect catch. God is He's perfect in everything. So because of His perfection, that should lead us to glorify Him. That should lead us to give Him praise, which is what what Scripture is teaching us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's what Scripture is telling us. You know, Packer broke it down into two different two different types of acts in this in this section, and I'll and I'll read this. Um, let's see here. Let's go. Back. So, so the glory is that his goal is in fact a two sided, two stage relationship. It is precisely a conjunction of a revelatory act on his part by whereby he shows his glory to men and angels in free generosity with. And it's working in conjunction with a responsive adoration on their part, whereby they give him glory out of gratitude for what they have seen and received. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, glory glory is a two two way street, right? Um, God performs the actions that deserve glory, and we return with that glorification. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about. <laughs> Think about some of the things that are on just our planet, right? So, like the Grand Canyon, for example. Grand Canyon is this beautiful thing that God created. God created that. 
but if no one had been, no one, if no one had seen the Grand Canyon, then we wouldn't, no one would know to glorify God for making the Grand Canyon. Exactly. You know, and you know, it's funny because we talk about things that are, are, are large in majesty and scope like that, but then you step back and you go, well, man, man trumps even that. Like the Grand Canyon doesn't hold a candle to the majesty of what it is that man is and what, how we were created, how we even exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the absolute minute details that are in nature that allow us to even breathe mm-hmm. without suffocating are, are, are astronomical. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that Packer goes on here and actually talks about in, the, in that conjunction is realize the fellowship of love which God's rational creatures were and are made and for the fallen human beings have now been redeemed. I love that part because it actually turns it back and it shows that God is trying to get us to focus on glorifying him because that actually brings out the true purpose of our nature. Yeah. It's, it's actually what we're for and it gives you purpose. It gives you, it's, it's, Instead of it being that focus on me or fo- focus on that glorification, and again, we're going to get into that in the next topic a little bit more, yeah. I think, which is even better, because that's what we end up doing with it is, is what we're going to talk about next in, in, in idols. Yeah. But in glory, when you focus on glory, it, it, Packer goes in further and says God is the true fulfillment of human nature at its heart and brings supreme joy to man just as it does to God. Yeah. And that's something I remember when I was first coming into the faith. And I remember talking about the law to somebody, and I said, you know, the law is not necessarily God trying to say, this is distancing you from me. That's actually telling you where you're apart from me and how we need to fix that to get you back closer to me. And the only way to do that is to be obedient to God and glorified. Obedience truly is an act of glory. It's a glorifying act of obedience Mm -hmm. because it's something you don't, it does not come natural. That is not a natural state of man's heart. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can say this now because I'm a good Baptist. Baptists are great rebellions. They are great rebels. I love it. They're, they're, they are my Christian rebels. When I was, when I was struggling in the, in the wilderness, so to speak, for a while, you know, in my own rebelliousness, it took me finding the true repurposing of that rebellion to yeah. say, you're rebelling against the wrong thing here. Mm-hmm. Instead of rebelling against me, God... You need to be rebelling against the things that are keeping you from being you. Yeah. That's good stuff. What's your Mic drop. <laughs> no, I got nothing. I, I think y'all covered all that. <laughs> oh, man. Glory, glorious gets... Uh, all right, so I do I do want to talk about this because um, Benny, Benny over here dropped it. He, he dropped the word Baptist. And I have to know, growing up, how many of your past? Probably not yours, because I don't think you grew up Baptist. Oh no, I, okay. grew, I grew up. I grew, well, I we're, not, well, we're not going to. Yeah, we're not going to go too far into all that. So, <laughs> I'm going to cut that part. So, for those of us who grew up Baptist, or possibly on the slightly Pentecostal side of of Christianity, um. How many of your pastors ever used the word Shekinah glory? Oh, I've heard that. I actually a heard few it a few times. I heard it in a non-Baptist. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about so it, obviously. I, I always, always loved it when pastors would, would talk about the Shekinah glory of God. And they'd be like, God, send your Shekinah glory. You know, and I'm, uh, you know, because also I thought it was kind of weird, you know, and, and in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God and Packer, Packer, goes into this a little bit where he talks about, you know, it was always revealed at significant times and it was kind of this glorious manifestation of his presence was what was called the Shekinah glory. Um, and really, I mean, you could, you could really kind of talk about the ark being that, that Shekinah glory because that's where the, the presence of God hovered was, mm-hmm. was on the mercy seat there in the, in the ark of the covenant. And, and then, uh, who was it? Indiana Jones stole it or something like that. I don't yeah, know, or after the Nazis that. took it. That's right. Back up Nazis. <laughs> I forgot about that. But, but anyway, so when, when you had in the Old Testament where you had the Shekinah glory, in the New Testament, that Shekinah glory is replaced by the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 
and, and you talk about the Shekinah glory is this, this big, glorious manifestation. And, and we talk about wanting to see that. I want to, I just want to, you know, now I want to look at pastors and be like, are you dumb? You, you, you have seen that. It's the yeah. person and work of Jesus Christ. There's no need to ask for the Shekinah glory of God to come down because he's, it's already come down. Yeah. Well, in the person of Jesus. It, it, in, in, the post- it, in the post-resurrection world, it truly hasn't ever left. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it indwells in the hearts of every believer, right? That's what it, yeah, because Christ is the replacement of that Shekinah glory. So everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus. You know, everything is pointing to Jesus. So you have this bright, glorious manifestation, and then you have Jesus. And people are like, oh, we want the bright, glorious manifestation. Like, it, it reminds me of Israel in the Old Testament where they're like, you know, they get, they get out in the wilderness, and they're like, take us back into bondage in Egypt. And I'm like... Are you guys dumb? What's wrong with you people? The answer is yes, they were dumb. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually equated the nation of Israel to my kids the other day because it was like in that story, it's very much like my kids when you're, you're you're going on a road trip and as soon as you hit the road and you're on eighty five or seventy five or ninety, you know, whatever ninety five, whatever major highway in 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 the country you're on, and they go, you know, what, I need to go back and get a snack. Can we turn this whole thing around? I don't believe we're going to be there anytime soon for you to ever give me food again. Here's my favorite one. You're five minutes down the road. I have to pee. <laughs> yeah. It, forget that you can go somewhere up the road in a new place. I need to go back home, and I'm going to melt down until you do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, kids, children, what are we going to do with them? So... So that's that's uh that's glory. Does anybody want to add anything else on glory? Uh, the only thing I want uh, Packer Packer does this, and I actually highlighted this, boxed it, the whole shebang, because I think this brings home the final point. It actually leads to God's God's glory actually being represented through grace, mm-hmm. and it actually says down here later on. It says God would not share with idols the praise of for restoring His people. For idols be unreal, contributed contributed nothing to the work of grace, and God will not share the praise of salvation with its human subjects today. For we too contribute nothing more than to it than our need for it. And I think that that speaks volumes to mm-hmm. our absolute need for that glory in our lives. Yeah. It's something that we can't just we we don't you know we can't add anything to glory. Yeah. Glory is that thing that we have to reach out for from somewhere else because it yeah. is something so outside of us. It's so so much more than we could ever truly grasp on our own. And God, only God can actually provide that. Real glory, real mm-hmm. glorification, yeah. and real glory can only come through the person of Christ. I mean, that, that's the only way that you can really do it. And that's the only way God could help us to even really truly rationalize that. Yeah. Because it was in the Old Testament, you know, with all the different things, the temple... The, the orc, those things were not necessarily grasped because it was almost supernatural. It was almost too much for man to comprehend. Yeah. And so God in his second person truly knew, I've got to do this in a way that actually they can grab this because they are not going to be able to truly grasp glory or grace. Mm-hmm. They're not going to understand even the need for it yeah. unless I can turn that heart towards this personal thing, this personal glory that they can see, feel, talk to you know, be embraced by yeah. to actually see that it's a need in their life more than just something yeah. that they see in a burning bush. Yeah. Which is why the reformers were so uh, adamant about the, the really the rallying cry of the reformation, which was the final solo, which is solely Deo Gloria. You know, that's glory to God alone. Nothing in us, nothing from us, nothing of us should, mm-hmm. should want glory. Or should yeah. seek glory, but but we should seek to push glory to God alone. Yeah. So that's glory, and obviously, when we misunderstand glory, it turns what John Calvin calls our hearts into perpetual idol factories, and we end up in in the in this thing of idolatry. Mm-hmm. So let's break down idolatry a little bit. I'll, I'll admit I didn't read as much on this one as I should have. I, I kind of glimpsed it a little bit, so I'm not going to have a whole lot to offer right here. What you got, Patrick? Um, 
So, yeah, um, the uh, Packer just dives into it. He says idolatry is this idea that God demands total allegiance. So it's not, you know, us spending time with God on Sunday and then going about our lives Monday through Friday or partying it up on the weekends and going back on Sunday. Um, God demands this total allegiance. Um, and in the, especially in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel were struggling with letting the religions around them influence them, the people around them influence them. And, and they were taking bits and pieces from, from all of them and applying them to their lives. And while we may not be taking bits and pieces of, our, of religions and applying them to our lives today in the modern world, um, this is still something that we, that we as people still struggle with, whether it's um, college football or work or you know, trying, to, trying to figure out a way to mesh all those things together um, with our relationship with Jesus. But Jesus says, look, all this other stuff should fall to the side. Like, all this other stuff shouldn't matter at all. So, um, I think that's the part, especially for um, me personally, the idolatry becomes an issue. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that, that this is one of the biggest things that I think all Christians need to focus in on because idols, you, you, you talked about it in the Old Testament that the Israelites would struggle with things. And I think so often people detach themselves from this idols. They think of wood asherah poles or golden calves or whatever. They don't ever stop to think about their idol could be their children. Yeah, their jobs. Yeah, their comfort. Mm-hmm. Their their the church you go to. Their pastor. Yeah, I mean you name it. I mean when something again, man is created to worship to glorify. That's tr- truly what we're in for. And the only way you glorify is to worship. Well, when you're not glorifying the proper thing, you replace it with something else, and that's where idols become mm-hmm. something that that becomes God. And, and truly, I, I always, I always define an idol as this it's it's whatever god you put in the lowercase g yeah you put in the place of the big case g yeah and it could be anything mm-hmm. and, and a lot of christians yeah. struggle with this because like you said i mean they, they kind of get into this 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 comfort zone and a lot of times they don't they don't even stop to think the biggest the biggest idol factory or the biggest idol of all is me yeah i'm the biggest yeah. idol of all there if you really dumb it down to every other thing that you idolize in the world, it all comes down to it makes you happy. Yeah. 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 Well, and what, we, what you got, Patrick? No, you go ahead. I was going to say, the the biggest thing and, and the biggest thing about that I always hear about free will, and, and realistically to me, like, free will is, is the number one perpetuator of idols. Because when you think about free will, Free will is you doing the thing that you want to do most at that moment. Okay. Now, a hundred things can shape your free will. Okay. So if you really narrow it down, okay, we don't actually have free will. When in, in the pure libertarian, like nothing affects me version of it. Okay. We have wills that are affected by the way we're raised, by the where we live. Um, you know, all of these different factors go into things that affect the way that I make decisions. So everything, every decision that I make is determined by a set of factors. Okay. Now, when we talk about idolatry, to me, that's where that's where this whole argument of of like relativism and and um, you know, everybody kind of makes their own truth, which is essentially relativism. All of that comes into play here. And, and where we've done it with religion is, is and Packer hits on this, it's, it's the idea of what's called syncretism. Mm-hmm. So, Patrick, you were mentioning the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, they would take all of these pagan religions, and they'd be like, oh, I like this, and I like that, and I like this, and I like that. And they'd pile it all together, and they would worship, you know, whatever conglomeration of 
idolatrous facts they came up with. It's basically they're basically covering all their all the bases. <laughs> yeah, and so so like in the Old Testament, um, a lot of pe- a lot of pagan religions believe that gods were region specific. So if you went to this one region over here, you had to worship this god because he was the god of that region. And then you came over here, and Israel was the only one who believed that their god transcended boundaries. Their god was everywhere. Their god was omnipresent. And um, so so where that begins to play in, and so you bring that to the 21st century. Well, now we hear statements like, oh, all roads lead to heaven, you know, which is, which is the, the biggest load of malarkey that there ever was contrived mm-hmm. um you know jesus said i'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except by me he didn't say i'm the way the truth and the life and if you go through buddha you could probably get there but it's going to take you a different route if you go through taoism it's going to take you a different route it, it never no he didn't say that it was an exclusionary statement <laughs> he intended it he intended it to be as such to to basically exclude any other yeah. option there in, in mm-hmm. fact it, it even goes further to say it's a narrow road yeah which why why if 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 that means it's a narrow road into heaven, well, what's that mean? What's the opposite of that? It's a wide road to miss out on heaven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That means that all that other stuff is simply detracting you from the reality of what heaven is. Yeah. Yeah. It, and and what we end up with is this feel good, you know, oh, we can't hurt people's feelings or we got to do this and we got to make people feel good. No, that's... Jesus was never about making people feel good. And I think if you read the Gospels, you'll find that out. I mean, he did try to whip some people one time. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Um, but, but you you know, everybody paints Jesus as this, like, you know, free-loving hippie that everybody wants to hang around with. And it is true that everybody wants to hang around with Jesus because he taught with an authority and a, a type of, you know, uh, I just said authority, so I'm going to say it twice, but an authority that they had never heard before. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't hear this from their religious teachers. They didn't hear this from their rabbis or their, you know, synagogue leaders. But he also was, wasn't, new. but he also wasn't a synagogue teacher or a rabbi. He, he, yeah. he was a common, you know, for, I mean, he was a common guy. Yeah. His, his disciples called him rabbi. Well, and, just, and it, it, at one point, Nicodemus called him a rabbi because he was trying to, I don't know. Yeah, but, but, in the, some, but in the eyes of the general public, he was not a oh, rabbi. Yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. not. He was not somebody that they went into the synagogue and, and thought he was going to be up front. He yeah. was not the guy opening up the scrolls until he did it. Yeah, and then it was like, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this has been confirmed in your hearing today." And not only that, he he pulls it up and reads it to him yeah. and says, "There, it just talked about me." Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's that's Jesus. Not he does. Jesus did this thing where where he he was loving and people wanted to be around him because. He, he spoke authentic truth, authoritative truth, which is something that is, it's an infectious thing. When you hear somebody that will speak infectious and uh, authoritative truth to yeah. you, that that is for your betterment. I think a lot of people, they shy away from it now, especially in this day and age where it's everybody's truth is their own. Yeah. Where they, they, they step aside from authentic truth. And I think Jesus would not allow you to just simply step aside from it, which is very much like Packer talks about with the whole... You know, the synchron- uh, synchronicity of, of all these different religions that basically, yeah. you know, nowadays we would call that New Age, where yeah. it's a mix of spirituality, it's a mix of all these different paths to God, it's a mix of enlightenment, it's a mix of a little dabbling of Jesus over here, and m- moral relativism over here, and boom, you're, you're, you're in heaven. Yeah. 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 So, so I think the question that we have to ask when we when we look at this is: Do we believe that God is all sufficient for us? Like, do we truly believe that? Like, it's easy to say with our to say it and to you know know it in our in our minds, but is it really? Can we really live that out and believe it in our hearts that God is all sufficient for us the way He's always been all sufficient? You know, I had, a, I had a friend one time that said, that said, you know, most Christians are functional atheists. Mm. And, and, and it, I, like I had to, I had to draw back one and just be like, all right, hang on. What's he talking about? But, but realistically he was, he was exactly right. Yep. You know, we, we live our lives in a manner that's no different than an atheist. We don't let scripture guide us. We don't let scripture di- dictate the, the, the way that we live our lives. 
We live it the way we want to, which is what an atheist does. Well, it's funny because that was exactly what in the Old Testament that the nation did. The nation yeah. of Israel did that over and over mm-hmm. again. Packer hits on this. He says the spiritual issue was whether the Israelites would remember Yahweh, their covenant God, was all sufficient for them, and moreover claimed their exclusive allegiance so that worshiping other gods was spiritual adultery. Not yeah. idolatry, but adultery. And what does that immediately bring to mind? The second commandment. I mean, it, 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 me. well, and even then, it, you, you go further. What does idolatry, adultery mean? It, it, in, this, yeah. in this day and age, if you were to go on the street and ask that same, you know, on the street, what is adultery to you? They would probably say somebody stepping out on a relationship, right? Yeah. A, 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 a bonded relationship. They're stepping out into something else, some yeah. something else. That's exactly what God perceives of us in idolatry. In idolatry. Yeah. Anything, yeah. including including things that He's given us, yeah. like children yeah. or our families or our jobs, yeah. our our careers, our 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 security, whatever it is that we're clinging to. That we think that's how we become those better people, or we you know we we we. Our kids are going to become somehow better children because we give them, we give them the right school. We have the right curriculum around them, but we don't give them the proper understanding of glorifying God that provides all that. We, yeah, we've actually put them, we put the order out of sync. Yeah, yeah. And then our kids grow up weird, <laughs> and we wonder why our kids grow up weird. Um, yeah, and they turn out to be Benny. <laughs> There's a there's a great book by um, Larry Crabb, and depending on how you uh, believe about like how psychology works in in uh, in cohesion with uh, Christianity, I mean this may be a book for you, it may not be, but um, it's called The Pressure's Off, and he talks about keeping first things first and second things second. And so you know one of the, you know what's a first thing? That's your relationship with Jesus should be your only first thing. And then your second things are things like your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your work. And any time that those things become first things, then your what should be your true first thing, your relationship with Jesus, by default, becomes a second thing. And then you're all out of whack, and you're committing idolatry and then spiritual adultery. Yeah, that's and, and that's and that's absolutely true. Um, I remember, I remember this article, and, and this will kind of like dovetail on what you said because it just reminded me of when you were talking about keeping first things first and second things second. Even in the in the church, we we tend to have that problem. Mm-hmm. We tend to make we tend to take a specific doctrine and make it, you know, the test for for Christianity. And and there's a guy a while back. His name's Al Moeller. And he wrote a he wrote a article called the need for what what he called theological triage, and he compared it to a hospital where they say you know when you if you know anything about hospitals and emergency rooms, you triage patients. So that that means you say okay, this guy has a cut that's going to need five stitches. He can go sit in the chair and wait for a little while. Um, this guy has been shot in the leg. He's got to go back right now. You know he's got a bullet in his leg and his femoral artery is bleeding everywhere. You know, and so we look at the, and we need to do what what he calls theological triage. What is the most important doctrines? What are the doctrines that are going to say, okay, you either are or are not a Christian if you believe this doctrine. And then you, you know, that's your first tier. He calls them first tier stuff. And then you get to second tier and you say, okay, you know, we we can agree to disagree on these things, but that means maybe we won't worship together. That's where you get denominations. You have your Presbyterians and your Baptists and your Methodists, and and they disagree on kind of the, some of the second tier stuff, but they still agree on the the big major theological you know issues of of salvation and all that kind of stuff, you know. And then you get down to the third tier stuff, and it's like, okay, this is the stuff that that even within churches we can have disagreements about. We don't have to break fellowship over this type of thing. This is a third tier, you know, triage. And he's and he says churches need to take time and actually do that so that they can teach their people how to do that in their life and say mm-hmm. and so that so we don't end up in a culture exactly like we're in now. And it's funny that he wrote this article probably four or five years ago now. And um but we end up in this like cancel culture where where it's like, Oh, you disagree with me, I I'm going to shut you down. 
you know, you obviously have nothing good to contribute to anything because you disagree with me mm -hmm. on this minute point. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, it, it basically becomes a religion of echo chambers. Yeah. It, it really does because, it, it, and this is what's funny because you, you talked about, you started out by talking about free will. And, and truly, if you think about this, if, if you're thinking in that capacity, you're actually bound by that thought train. That thought yeah. process is binding you. Whereas God is truly offering you free will to be freed of those constraints, mm -hmm. to freely think the way you were intended to think yeah. without constraints that you've basically, you've tied upon yourself. Yeah. And you guys will probably get into this more in your next episode, but you basically, you're putting the ammo into the gun of the enemy. The enemy doesn't, he doesn't create the ammo. He doesn't need to. We're the best ammo manufacturers ever. I mean, story. this is the thing I, I always talk about because, you know, again, in the Christian world, we always have the boogeyman. Ooh, the boogeyman Satan has come. You know, it's like this thing where everybody's like, oh, Satan made me do it. No, he didn't. You did the daggum thing. He just gave you a nudge. We give Satan way more power than he actually has. Satan, oh, I mean, think about this. Satan was created not very much more than we were in terms of his relationship to God. He had a, he was created for a purpose. And, and it was a, it was a whole purpose, a holy purpose at first, mm -hmm. to, to to test people's test people's faith. Yeah, and he still does that to a, to an extent. I think people forget he has not left his post. He still does that. Read yeah. Job; he very clearly is doing the same thing he was created to do. He, he even asked for permission to do it. Yeah. So it tells you that he even within his fall, he can't escape his own nature. Yeah. So how is this thing the most? It, it, why why are we giving him more power than he needs? Because we want to put the ammo in his gun. We want mm. to be. We want to create the boogeyman out of yeah. him instead of realizing we're creating an idol out of Satan. Yeah, yeah. we've we've created the ultimate idol out of yeah. Satan. Yeah. And because I think people think this, it's it, an idol has to be something that is good, yeah. or or is 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 a good thing, so to speak. No, an idol can be something that detracts you from God. Yeah. And if you're just simply blaming, you know, oh, I did this bad thing. Satan's really attacking me today. No, no. You're just you're you're clearly down on your prayer life, and you're not giving it over to God. And you allowed you allowed a stronghold that Satan had. He just he just threw a grenade in deeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's easy for us to just blame Satan for for whatever is going like whatever is our own fault too. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you know, it takes responsibility. It takes initiative. It takes discipline to be praying, to be in the Word, to be spending your time with Jesus. And when you fail to do those things, you're going to be more susceptible to sinning and living in sin. But then you also, you know, as believers, we we know better. So, you know, when you know when we get caught in sin, or when we you know we realize that we've been, you know, short with our spouses, or or frustrated, easily frustrated with work or whatever it is, you know, it's easy just to say, oh, well, you know, Satan's really. Satan's really getting at me, or, you know, Satan's making me this way. That's not the case. That's never the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have idolized. We have idolized. Way too much. Yeah. Way too much. That's a good discussion. Thanks for having me in here, guys. This was entertaining. <laughs> hopefully, I'll, hopefully I'll be invited back. We'll see if you get any negative feedback on Benny. If, yeah. I'm, if, I'm, if I'm exiled... I don't think we will. I think we'll be all right. We don't, <laughs> I don't know how many feedback anyway. I don't know how many people are actually listening, so. Well, you wouldn't know because you never check your email address from what I understand, so. We check it occasionally. Oh, we don't have to check the email. We check the thing we use to post it. The thing we use? Right. The thing we use. <laughs> the, thing, the thing in the place with the guy. Yes. Yep. So, Patrick, where can they find us on the internet? All right. So, um, you can email us at beersandbible.com podcast at gmail.com email us your questions comments concerns beer suggestions um if you want to i don't know if you have a question that you'd like for us to talk about we can we could do that um find us on instagram at beers and bible underscore and we're on twitter at beers and bible p1 thanks for joining us for the Beers and Bible Podcast, episode number 12, we'd like to thank our guest, Benny. 
Thanks again for having me, guys. It was thanks, it was thanks for having. Fun. Thanks for being here. Oh, you know, I got anything to help you guys just make this show that much better. I'm a it part is, of. It is officially that much better. Thank you. Officially, <laughs> officially, it, it is official. It's official. That much better. Thanks for joining us, and until next week, we hope you go and enjoy an Oktoberfest and all of the things that happened in October. That, you know, America's baseball team lost, so nobody cares anymore. Um, I'll, let figure, I'll let you figure out who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Dodgers got beat last night, didn't they? Yes, they did. That makes, that makes everything better. That's true. It <laughs> makes some of it better. And now the Astros, if the Astros would lose, too. It's too bad we couldn't get the Yankees to get beat. Oh, gosh. What is the Astros? What's happening? I don't know. So, anyway, have a good week. Thanks to our special guest, Benny, for joining us. And until next yep. week, have a good one. Peace out. See you later. You enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.